Hello everybody, welcome to the show. Today we're going to be talking to one of my favourite people, Kim Adams, about biohacking. I'm not sure what that is, let's find out. My name's Chris Sutton, this is Mental Conversations. I'm not sure I can be so absent-minded Take a good look, no notice, don't be blinded And we're rolling. Um, hi Kim. Morning, Chris. Um, thank you for coming back into our glamorous studio uh, here in Leeds with the building works going on outside. So it's hopefully that will looking lovely as always. Yeah, always, always nice. So um, um, we're going to be talking about biohacking. We are. The last time you came onto the show, you said to me, oh, I've got this really good thing I'd really like to come and talk to you about. And um, I've tried to look into it a little bit and I just, I'm just not bright enough. So um, what, what is it? I'm sure you are, Chris, and I think that the conversation we had, when you said, what is biohacking? And I was like, Chris, you're a biohacker, which made it even more complicated because I didn't bother explaining to you what that was. Yeah, so. <laughs> but I thought, you know, as always, I thought rather than find out from you and then have the conversation, uh-huh. let's have the conversation and record it and put it out there so that people can benefit from my stupid questions, really. So... Trying to explain biohacking in a really straightforward way because there's lots of definitions of what biohacking might be, but it's essentially using the tech that is out there to actually try and change the way that we operate biologically. So it's kind of bringing together all of that tech and knowledge Mm -hmm. with our natural biology and almost thinking, can I be a better version of myself by tapping into this technology? So... At one extreme end, we've got the people who genuinely are biohackers and they have kind of meetups and summits and things. And some of these people, they're they're doing quite radical things. They're kind of putting magnets into their fingertips. Oh, okay. I know, not sounding very comfortable. Yeah, no. But then at the other end, which I think probably a lot of people can relate to, it's things like wearing your Fitbit overnight so that it attracts your sleep. Yeah. And thinking, okay, what does that tell me about my sleep? Okay. Now, that in itself doesn't make you a biohacker. What makes you a biohacker is then when you start to read into the sorts of things that can influence and affect your sleep and think, well, okay, how about I try out some different things yeah. and see whether that improves my sleep quality. And you've then got your Fitbit continuing to record So you can keep things. monitoring it and... Absolutely. Okay. So, okay, right, so that, that does make sense. I, I, so the only thing I did, research I did, was I Googled it, and a YouTube video came up, and it was essentially, it felt like this man was trying to sell me 10 products. But I was like, I think I might have got the wrong thing here. I might have got, but actually that might be, that might have been yeah. right. He was looking, so so because it, it is technology. Mm. Right, okay, I thought I was looking at completely the wrong kind of thing. And one of the things I saw was like a ring that you mm-hmm. could wear that did that did certain types of things. But I, I've got to ask you, what's what's the thing with the magnets? <laughs> it's to do with um, the electromagnetic fields and wanting to have that kind of physical control from your body. Right. With that, so it's kind of, it's like a seven year old kid thinking. How cool would it be if I had magnets in my fingers and I could just reach out and pull up and pick that thing with the magnet? So, so literally, that, kind of that. That's amazing. So, because the other thing that it made me think was, um, in terms of that, so I wear glasses. Mm. So that's that's essentially something that's assisting, that's aiding my yeah. um, my lacking physiology, mm. I suppose. So that's a, a would be a, a biohack, would it, in terms of 
improving something. But I, I think get... if you wanted to go one further with that, Chris, you've got people now that have well, the, the kind of laser stuff for eyes, isn't there? So you can have yeah. that laser therapy to improve your eyesight. But the one I would probably think of more is if you've got a problem with the lens in your eye and you're using the glasses to correct that, actually mm-hmm. some people now are having a whole new lens put into their eye. So it's an artificial lens. So that lens isn't going to age in the same way that our natural lenses yeah. in our eyes do. Yeah, okay. So that they then get that benefit if they don't have to wear the glasses or the contact lenses. Yes. It's that they've got this whole new artificial lens mm. doing that job for them. Yeah, I'm thinking of doing that, actually. I'd like mm. to do that. Um, okay. So so have you got some examples then of things... Because obviously there's people out there listening to this and the idea of the podcast is for how, what people can actually do to, mm. um, uh, to make little tweaks to their lives. So, you know, if we start with the, the Fitbit then, because yeah. a lot of people do have a Fitbit. Mm. But, so I see what you're saying. So I've used a Fitbit in the past and then it, it broke, unfortunately. But it was just... It was quite basic and it was just yeah. more about the number of steps. Mm. But actually that did... It did make me walk further during yeah. the day because if it got to say I don't know 11 o'clock in the morning and I'd only done 2,000 steps mm-hmm. then I would be like I better go out for lunch and I'll go to I'll walk somewhere slightly further away you know so it was making a difference to my health by making sure yeah. I got my steps in um so yeah, what I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Is that what other what other things work in that sense then? That... So some of the things that I see people using Fitbits for that I think then does have that really beneficial effect on their health in that they then tie it into making different choices and different um, things like the walking that you just talked about. Uh, definitely the one I already mentioned with sleep. Mm. So people don't always find a Fitbit comfortable to sleep yeah. with, but actually. Sleep and mental health issues tend to go hand in hand. That yes. when I'm working with people that are struggling with their mental health, they're often struggling with their sleep quality yeah. as well. And our sleep happens in different stages. And one of the things that the Fitbit does, which is great, is it tracks your deep sleep against the average for somebody your age and it tracks your REM sleep, what we sometimes call our dreaming mm-hmm. sleep. So you can have the quality of one of those be great, but the quality of the other be maybe not so good. And you can then think, well, okay, what are the things that affect that sleep quality? What are the things I need to be doing differently? So, for example, a lot of people will use alcohol to help them get to sleep. Mm. And it does that. It will help you get to sleep quicker and you will have more of that deep sleep at the start of the night. But what it can do is then disrupt your REM sleep later in the night and mean that you're waking up a lot more. And your Fitbit will tell you that. Okay. So if you're thinking that your alcohol is working as a sleep aid for you, but actually you're still not waking up refreshed, so you think, well, I think I'm having enough sleep. I don't remember being awake a lot. Yeah. Actually, I'm still not feeling refreshed then that Fitbit can give you that missing piece of information. You know what I like about it? Is it it's like, um, I, I mean, I, a lot of the conversations I have come down to this at some point, but it's about taking ownership of your own um, yeah. mental health or your own well-being overall, really, isn't it? In terms of, um, and it's, it's using the aids that are available to us mm-hmm. to actually do that. Because a lot, I think that it's quite a common thing for people to just, 
to go through life feeling a bit rubbish, yeah. but continue to go through the groove of the bad patterns or the negative patterns or the unhealthy patterns mm. um, and habits that, that we're in. And then, but something like this and something like a Fitbit, you know, and they did explode onto the, when they came onto yeah. the scene and everyone seemed to have one, you know, um, and whether they're as popular now, I'm not sure, but, they, but for me, certainly, it was an aid to change my behaviour. Yeah. And that, but actually, one of the things that really helps you do is you're you're still you're self-regulating based on how you feel, and yes. I think that's quite important for people to understand and to take that mm. ownership. Yeah. So another one that I love in that way is the kind of measure of heart rate variability. And this, again, it's one that you do get on some of the watches. Mm. It's sometimes one that you have to buy extra kit to kind of tune with your watch to be able to do. But um, our heart rate variability, we think of our heart rate as doing this very regular ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. But actually, there is a bit of variation in that. And variation is a good thing, obviously, within limits. Right, okay. Um, we don't want our heart rate to be very flat to show kind of no real variability in the way that it is. Because if you think about what we should be doing, and cats are a great example of this. So cats, their heart rate can absolutely soar hmm. when something spooks them. And then it goes right back down to their kind of resting heart rate really quickly. Right. Um, so it's like our, our heart rate is meant to change and respond to stimuli. We're not meant to kind of desensitize ourselves yeah. so that it stays really still. But one of the um, things with exercise and heart rate variability, exercise is something that is great for our mental health. It definitely gives us that real boost. It gives us the rush of endorphins. Mm. But we all know that sometimes we just feel wiped out and we don't necessarily want to exercise, don't necessarily feel the benefit. Now, when you look at heart rate variability, there's this suggestion that when your heart rate variability is good, when you've got plenty of variability, that's a very good time to do your more intensive exercise. Right, okay. When your heart rate variability is a bit flatter, you may be wanting to do things more like a relaxing yoga session rather than something that's a bit more full on. So that can start to give you information that helps you to structure your day in yeah. terms of getting exercise in, thinking, well, actually, when does it look like the good times are for me to do something that's a bit more kind of cardio or yeah. lifting or something? And when do I need to be a bit kinder to myself and just do either some really gentle stuff, go for a bit of a walk around the block, or think, actually, now isn't a good time for me to exercise? That's interesting, because I was... Um, um... Random, just randomly, it goes completely against what my nature is like, but I'm quite fascinated by mixed martial arts. Mm. So I watch quite a lot of mixed martial arts on TV. And, and I listen to what um, a lot of interviews with these fighters and things, and um, there's a few of them in particular that have really gone into this. Um, what I keep hearing, the thing I keep hearing recently that's like a real change in trend, is about, um, about exercise, but it's about recovery. And how one of the most important things is recovery, and a lot and a lot of historically a lot of people who boxers or fighters would think just go hard at it, go yeah. hard at it, and that's how I train and that's how I do it. But actually, there are based on heart rate and based on that variability. Um, so maybe I do, maybe I'm not as daft as I thought. Um, so I have because <laughs> I have heard about stuff like um, they'll say. Based on so they'll have their heart, a heart monitor on during the mm. while they're asleep, yeah, and it will be hooked up to an app that their trainer can see, 
and their trainer will say to them in the morning, or ba- literally based on the, the monitor of the readings overnight, mm. this is what we're working on today. Because if, because as yeah. you've just said, because if we try to do loads of cardio while your heart is in this state, mm. that's actually going to have a negative effect. Whereas if you're, you know, if you're in that right state, yeah. okay, we can go hard today and that's going to benefit you mm. or we'll do heavy lifting or weights or whatever. But in terms of for, for like a normal or a regular person who's, you know, not, who's just doing some exercise or it's still, it's one, it's fascinating, but two, and like, I, I know I've said this before, but it's what makes you feel better. Yeah. And I, so I feel, cause I, so this morning, it's a Monday morning. Um, and I didn't go to bed particularly late, but I didn't sleep particularly well. Mm-hmm. And I do feel a bit of a fog in my head of a day ahead, you know, of work and trying to structure it. I've gone to my, you know, default straight for a coffee, yeah. you know, to try and give me that pep up this morning. But um, there are probably things I could do or could have done yesterday if I'd looked into it more carefully that I could have been in a better physical shape this morning um so again it's that ownership isn't it yeah I think that I think that that's one of the things for me with biohacking so there's definite downsides to biohacking too but I think one of the real positives is that we've got all of this tech at our disposal now and it obviously varies in price but some of the stuff at that kind of entry level even things that your phone can do Mm. oh yeah yeah um give you all of this information all of the time that does enable you to make choices around that and take a little bit more control of your own health. So, um, my fit, just chucking some names mm. out there, my fitness pal, mm. I, I'm literally just coming into my mind that I used that for a while. Yeah. And in fact, not that I think we've talked about weight loss before mm-hmm. and about, it's not necessarily about losing weight. It's about how you feel and about, um, but when I wanted to lose a few pounds, I used my fitness pal, and it was really effective actually. Yeah. Because it's. Um, have you ever used it? I've used it with clients. All right. So, yeah. so, so just for those for people who haven't, do you want? Well, do you want to describe it? How it works? So I think the thing with a lot of things like my fitness pal is that they give you that opportunity to track different things that are going on. So you can enter in the workouts that you're doing. You can enter in what food you're eating. You enter. The kind of biometrics of mm-hmm. things like your weight. You can use some machines that link into some of these apps mm-hmm. that will do um, like your percentage body fat and things. Oh, as right. Well. Okay. So that you've got lots of different parameters that you can track over time. And again, I think it can be a great motivator if you can see some of the benefits. Yeah. Um, but also, it, it does focus your mind on when you're doing things that you know you probably shouldn't be. But yes. the impact that that is maybe having. I, I, I mean, my favourite thing about it, if I'm honest, mm-hmm. and maybe this is just my lack of being of, of technology use, but was that you can, so so when Kim's saying about tracking it, you say, you know you can track your intake of calories by yeah. literally you input what meal you've had. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you can do is you can scan the barcode. Bar I yeah. love that. And I mean, <laughs> anyway, I need to get a job in a supermarket, I think, because the amount of fun I've had just like scanning a barcode. Like, um, but yeah, if you're about to eat something that is literally just out of a, you know, that yes, has a barcode attached to it, you, you know, I don't know, say it, say it was some cashew nuts, yeah. but it's in a little packet. 
um, you scan it and put how many grams you've, mm-hmm. you've, eat, you've, you've consumed or you're going to consume and it calculates all of the, the data. Yeah. And then the thing I really liked about it that worked really well for me was it actually, um, it did actually motivate me into more exercise mm. because if I'd kind of overeaten, which is one of my, one of the things I find difficult to yeah. stop doing, then you, if you did some exercise, because a lot of it was calorie yes, based, absolutely. you, your like, um, average for the day, you know, mm. it kind of cancelled each other out. So I remember going for a run and doing, um, have burning 600 calories yeah. and being like, okay, well now I've got a choice. Now I can either go and have a donut mm. or I can be 600 calories up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The psychology behind it is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so, but you said there's, there's other things that you can hook into that, into like um, MyFitnessPal or those kind of apps. So there's, there's a range of different apps and different ones offer you different things. So um, with MyFitnessPal, I think one of the real benefits from that is the level of dietary analysis that you can have mm. going on. So I, I have kind of specialist nutrition software that I can input somebody's diet into, but I'm reliant on them giving me a diet diary and telling you the truth yeah yeah, there is an element of that sometimes (laughs) um people i've eaten three three brussels sprouts (laughs) and and a sprig of broccoli if you get sprigs of broccoli uh, a florette of broccoli this morning but also you're not necessarily brilliant at remembering to write things down not you personally chris but as generally yeah no you're um, right you know we can forget that we had that extra biscuit at three o'clock because actually we weren't anywhere that we could make a note yeah, that. But yeah. actually, when you've got something that's maybe an app on your phone, or as you say, you just kind of scan the barcode and add the detail in, it lends itself more to doing it as you go along. Yeah. So it gets that accurate stuff in. Yes. And actually, they're not a bad comparator to the kind of specialist software that I'm yeah. using with yeah. clients. They, they give as good an overview, in my mind in terms of what somebody's doing, what they're consuming, how that breaks down into terms of the different nutrients, etc. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it is a good, useful tool to yeah. have. Having, to, having said that, the thing that one of the things that I... I mean, it, you know, it's about not having enough time and then mm. understanding that actually there's always enough time if you're prioritising the right things, you know, or, or not always. Mm. But, you know, you can quite often re jig things in terms of priority but but nutrients and things is something I've always struggled to really get into is beyond the and I think people are you know kind of understand calories Mm -hmm. or kind of that that relatively basic stuff the traffic light system now on a lot of food products is really helpful in terms of I I think as long as it's correct Mm -hmm. and it's accurate that if you see loads of red you know you know you kind of do think well Maybe I'll stay away from that one. Um, but but again, it's when I listen to people that are really into, like yourself, mm-hmm. into what you put into your body. Yeah. You, I remember you saying to me that you haven't been ill for how, like however many years. You haven't actually had a cold or. No, um, I don't. I don't need a lot of sick leave. I'm a brilliant employee in that respect. I think that the uh, last time I took sick leave was. Five years ago. Yeah, and uh, I mean, so that's pretty incredible, and it's there's definitely a correlation between what you eat, how you how you treat your mm-hmm. body, you know, what exercise you do, and and the nutrition. It's and and nutrients in particular. So, 
Um, and I always think about Kafir when I when I, when I, <laughs> talk, when I talk to you because if we don't talk about the gut bacteria, then it's not a, it's not a Kim Adams podcast. That's true. And and funnily enough, I was going to go there without you, Chris. Okay, bring me there. Take me there. I think um, that's. So I said that there's some real benefits to the biohacking, but there's some downsides as well. And I think that it is about realizing some of the limitations of this tech. So it's great to have all of that information about nutrients Mm. um, sat in front of you and to an extent the calorie stuff too. But what we need to be aware of is that what we put in isn't necessarily always what we manage to absorb. So Mm. your fitness pal or whatever else you're using is only going to tell you what you're eating. It's not going to tell you how much benefit you got from that. And one of the big factors in there then is gut health. Mm -hmm. So if you know that you've got problems going on with your gut health, if you're feeling like you have got digestive issues, if you have got problems with stomach acid, if you are maybe on some of the prescribed medication to control stomach acid, um, all of that is gonna impact on your ability to break down your food and get the nutrients from it. Right. And then tying into gut bacteria, because I always like to come (laughs) back to that, our gut bacteria really do help us to get our nutrients from our food. So they are an important point in that chain. They eat the food, they convert it into things that we can use. Okay. So your um, thing might tell you that what you've eaten is packed full of B vitamins and iron. It's about then how effective your digestive system is and your bacteria in making best use of that. So, and can you... so using biohacking, can you monitor that? So you can. Okay. Um, so what, what we're now seeing is a rise of um, lab companies that are then bringing certain biometric data to the public. So again, um, as part of my training, I was trained in working with people around tests. So testing for things like nutrient deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, looking at something like vitamin B12, which isn't always easily absorbed, you can test for B12 in the bloodstream, but you can also do a urine analysis test that will give you some of the um, markers that you get if you have used your B12 effectively, if you are getting effective use of it. So it gives you an extra marker and extra information. And we've now got testing companies out there that have brought that step nearer. So before, you'd have maybe come to somebody like me. Mm -hmm. If a test wasn't available on the NHS, you'd have had that test done privately and we'd have looked together at what that information says for you. Now, there are a range of testing companies that will test different parameters for you um, and send the information direct to you. So it bypasses any of the kind of health system and takes it directly to you. So there's one that will, at least one, that will map your gut microbiome and tell you what your gut bacteria diversity looks like. There is another one that will track things like your thyroid function, your cholesterol levels. Um, I think that one does B vitamins. A raft of different things that um, you might want to know about. Mm. Now, again, going with the downsides of biohacking, for me, if you've got a health concern, if you've got a niggle, if you think something is going on, you should always be going to your doctor first. You should be getting that checked out there. 
and you should be taking advantage of those tests that are available on the NHS that are monitored by that health professional and that they can work out what is going on. But if you know that you've got a family history of cholesterol problems and you're in that kind of bracket of you look lean, you seem fit, but you're prone to high cholesterol, mm -hmm. you might decide for yourself that your kind of fats and lipid profile is something that you want to track, that you don't want to keep going back to the doctor all the time, but you do want to keep an eye on it in regular yeah. intervals. So you may choose to go to one of these testing companies to do that. I saw something on TV the other day where some... Um, ex-professional footballers were being tested by a machine and they were started talking about the fat around the organs yeah and around fat. yeah there you go visceral fat and you know and that and actually one of them that didn't actually seem look particularly overweight or anything yeah. they were saying well, there was quite a lot of fat visceral fat Absolutely. building up so it, it you know all of these kind of things it's quite scary language actually mm. you know but but I think that in very simple terms, we, I think a lot of us kind of glide through life or trundle through life or stumble through life, <laughs> just kind of almost with that mentality that these things are just happening to us. Yeah. You know, and, and this is, this is about kind of taking that control mm. of, of what, of what you're doing and, and how your body feels and, and then subsequently often looks as well, you yeah. know. So it, that's kind of a, a byproduct, I suppose. But this is more about if you feel down and if you're feeling unhealthy or and unwell in terms mm. of mentally as well, these things make a difference, don't they? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so tell me more. What's what are the what are the other things people can do? So one of the others, while we're still around testing, that some people do is that they get their whole genetic profile. Mm -hmm. So I think people will have come across this in terms of um, looking at your family ancestry and maybe seeing what percentage Neanderthal you are and oh, yeah. things like that. <laughs> yeah. um, but you can also get a whole raft of markers that tell you about um, your propensity for certain illnesses or how well you exercise, etc. So some of these are put around kind of sport yeah. and are very much marketed that way. So somebody will have a number of their genetic markers tested and from that will work out, again, how suited they are to certain types of exercise, how well they might handle and oh, certain foods. Right, okay. That's interesting because I, I... Again, I like the, some, sometimes one of the most difficult things if you are trying to put some more focus on your own well-being mm. is knowing what to do yeah it's really hard to know or well, which exercise should I try mm. or which or what foods so yeah I, I think that's um that's interesting so so if someone comes to you then mm. are there are there things that you suggest um because you're a nutritional therapist yeah. so how so how do you how do you use it then when you have a client clients coming in to see you so sometimes clients will come to me with things already. Mm -hmm. So the genetic testing one is a case in point that you might have somebody that is, they've sent off for something, they've had a report back, and then they think, well, I'm not really quite sure what to do with this yeah. now. It's all right to an extent. And one of the challenges with some of these things is that they still have limits in what they can do. So the genetics one is a really good example of that because... Um, we only know what we know. There's work going on all of the time to really unpick mm. um, 
which genes are involved in certain illnesses, okay. but then that your genes interplay with each other. So what you might find is that a certain gene would predispose you towards getting dementia if you were from an Asian background, mm-hmm. but they, they haven't found that same thing in somebody from a Caucasian background. Right. And they both have that same variant of that same gene. They both have that exact same thing that has had a link to dementia, but that presumably somewhere within that Caucasian genome, the sort of genes that you see crop up a lot in that particular person's heritage, there's something else that has a stronger protective effect. Right, okay. So the concern for me with some of this testing, when people come through my door and say, well, what do I do about this, is that they um, they only have the information that they have to hand on that day. So yes. they may say, well, this tells me that I metabolise caffeine really quickly, um, but actually my body doesn't tell me that. Yeah, okay. And, so, all, and is, so is, also, is there also an issue there in terms of the fact that that's a snapshot? So I always think this about um, like an MOT, for example. Mm. You, get an M, you get an MOT on your car, but then you drive, literally drive out of the garage and knock your wing mirror off or something. Yeah. Well, for the next year, you've got an MOT, but you, <laughs> but you wouldn't pass it now. Like, because that was just a snapshot. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, you know, does when that, when if, I guess, so it works better if you can analyse data at different times of day or different times of the week or like... Um... Yeah, so, so some things are definitely a snapshot. When you're getting, so some of these blood tests and urine analysis that we talked about a little earlier, some mm. of those are very definitely a snapshot of where you're at. Now, with that snapshot... Mm says that you are massively deficient in a particular vitamin, mm. then actually we would need to do something about your diet to, yeah. look to address that. We might even consider supplementation to try and address that because that isn't suddenly just going to get better mm-hmm. by itself. Supplementation being... So vitamins, minerals, yeah. whatever it is that you might be deficient in. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you did a vitamin D test, which is a very simple blood test, to do it's one that you can get done on the NHS if you're worried that you've got kind of unexplained symptoms of tiredness etc that might be lending themselves to vitamin D deficiency but it's also one that people can send off for privately right and it goes to the same NHS labs actually all right okay country. Um, so if you are showing that you've got very very low vitamin D then chances are I would look to supplement that with you to raise your vitamin D but vitamin D is something that you can have too much of as well so I wouldn't be wanting to keep somebody on supplementation for a long period of time I would be wanting to retest them and say well is your vitamin D within safe limits now is yeah. it a healthy level of vitamin D mm-hmm. so it's kind of that's where you'd be using because you need the balance yeah. you need to be you need to have balanced so what do you think about because when I listen to this I'm I'm fascinated um, but I still, I still, it feels like there's still quite a small percentage of the population that are aware or that focus mm. on these things, and that the majority of people do kind of, like I said, it almost put it in the too complicated box yeah. to deal with. And if you actually need to go and see someone, um, whilst I promote people coming to see mm-hmm. you, um, it, again, that becomes another potential barrier yeah. that, put, that puts in people's way. But, but some of these biohacks are actually things that people can 
do themselves and can, um, I don't know, I guess it's just encouraging people to take small steps is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I think that the things like the kind of sleep, the exercise tracking, the food tracking, you can track all of those things in a very non-techie kind Mm. of way and you're still doing the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, But literally going back to the kind of pen and paper to do it, but you are using information that you maybe don't have on a conscious level yeah. to then track, spot patterns, make changes. Promote change. And and I do that quite a lot with clients. I Somebody comes to me, I don't say, well, you need to get yourself a fancy watch. Mm. I say, well, when you're keeping your diet diary, keep a track of how you're feeling that day. Yeah, Look at how yeah, that is yeah. affecting the choices of food that you're making. Um, the other one for me, which I think probably a lot more people do, is um, information that's out there on the internet. There is so much information available to us now, and sure. particularly when we look at nutrition. There are so many blogs, websites, various different things that will tell you, oh, if you do this, it's going to really help yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. And mental health is no exception mm-hmm. to that. And actually, it's kind of information overload. And a lot of this information can feel very, very convincing because people are maybe citing scientific papers when they're saying that there's evidence for Mm. a particular thing. But the thing with nutrition science is you can find five papers for an argument and another five (laughs) equally against. And if the author is very pro a particular approach, be it following a kind of high-protein paleo diet or cutting out gluten or following a vegan diet, they will find the papers that say, this is brilliant for this, and they will write something that is very convincing. So what do you do as the kind of average person that doesn't know how to muddle their way through, that thinks, well, this is very convincing? And to me, that's where, even if it is going back to the good old pen and paper or making a note on the notes app on your phone or whatever, you can start to track those things for yourself. So if you've read something that says, if you cut out gluten, that might help you um, feel that you've got less brain fog, Mm -hmm. and you decide, right, I'm going to go down that route then, there's kind of two things I would say. First is, do your research before you cut out that gluten. So if you're cutting out bread, pasta, cereals, how do you make sure that you're not missing out on essential nutrients. What are the key nutrients to put in your diet? Yes, in okay. Way? So that would be the first thing. But then the second thing would be, keep that diet diary, write down what you're eating and how you're feeling. I think that's one... I, I'm really glad you said that, because I, I think that is one of the key things, is that how you're feeling, that you can mm. self-regulate. Yeah. And it is about making... Um, so it's that thing, I've said this, people are going to roll their eyes now I'm on so many podcasts, <laughs> but it is about this self-calibration. Yeah. I love that expression. So, and it, so it, it is about actually thinking, right, if I eat that, how do I feel half an hour later? Mm-hmm. And then it's not saying you can't eat those things anymore, but it's just saying, just be aware that's how you're going to feel. And like I've said this morning, so I know what my, you know, what time I went to bed last mm-hmm. night. I know I woke up a couple of times in the night. So... Even though my time I, my head hit the pillow and the time I got out of bed was a normal time for me because I had those breaks, yeah. you know, that's probably why I feel a bit foggy this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's having an awareness as to how important different things are and how they kind of feed into you, I suppose. Um, we've, we've run out of time. 
Um, <laughs> we always just we always just run out of time too quickly. But um, tell people how they can get in touch with you and um, follow you on on social media. And okay, so you can find me as Savvy Nutrition. That's S A V I Nutrition on pretty much any major platform. So my website is savvynutrition.com and I'm at Savvy Nutrition on Twitter, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Brilliant. That's great. And thank you so much for coming in. Um, think of another one and we'll do another one soon. Great. Look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Wow, that was fun. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning into the show. As always, please follow me on Twitter at Mental Comms, Instagram Mental Conversations. Uh, please rate me on iTunes and other podcast places and look out for another episode winging its way to you soon. Cheers, everyone.